This is an ABC podcast. Hi, Norman. Hi. Should we do a podcast all about the coronavirus? No. No, let's try to think of something else. What about toenails? <laughs> as tempted as I am, I think we need to talk about Coronacast. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. So one of the refrains over the last two years has been, when's this pandemic going to end or what does the end of a pandemic even look like? And of course, no one actually knows the answer to that question, but some experts have tried to make educated guesses and a group in the UK, like the group in the UK, the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, that's the group that uh, advises the British government, has put together a bit of a, well, it's four scenarios of what the next phase of the pandemic might look like in the UK and, and globally. And I just wanted to step through like what the four scenarios are, how realistic they are, and what that might mean for us here in Australia. Well, let's go straight to the money and tell you what the scenarios are. Then we'll double back and look at what the variables were that they took into account because they do affect which is most likely. So they think the most likely scenario is what they call the reasonable best case. Do they think that's the most likely? Do I think it is or do they think? Do they think it is? Yeah, they think it's the most likely. I don't think it's the most likely, but they think it is. And But who am I to say? They're the experts. So in this one, you get new variants emerging but they haven't changed that much. There's a bit of a gain in how they transmit to each other. The severity is round about Delta severity. And so vaccines tend to work, as indeed does uh, infection-induced immunity. So in that scenario, you get minor outbreaks around the world, mainly from waning immunity and minor change in the viruses. And all you need from existing vaccines is really an annual booster. And the antivirals are pretty good and they remain effective. And the plus is that when you've got a lot of SARS-CoV-2 around, they've got fewer cases of influenza, for example. So that sounds really great. And I would like to pick that one off the menu. This is how this works, right? You just get to pick the one you like? Yeah, of course. And then you just go away <laughs> and you have a good night's sleep. And then you wake up to find out whether or not that's happened. Uh, the other thing, one of the things to say about this is that the core assumption here is that you haven't got a steady state of SARS-CoV-2 that it keeps on coming in waves, regardless of scenario. Okay, so let's move down the. I feel like it's sort of like descending the the steps into well somewhere unpleasant. We're descending into hell. No, no. So this they've got an optimistic scenario which they think is a bit less likely. They call it the central optimistic scenario. And essentially, in this one, you've got global immunity going up, and that means that even though the severity of the virus might go up a little bit or stay the same its net effect is less. But the waves are really driven by waning immunity or emergence of new variants. And this is of annual infection waves with good and bad years. And the bad years, you've got high transmissibility and you've got severity similar to Delta rather than Omicron. And some of the things that us punters will get in this scenario is things like annual vaccines to vulnerable people and uh, maybe we're, we're doing things like wearing masks during bad times. Yeah. And the population goes along with the government and helps out here by wearing face masks and staying separate and so on. Then they've got what they call the central pessimistic scenario. And this is here where you've got a high incidence of SARS-CoV-2 with increasing immunity around the population. But the emergence of variants is unpredictable for many years. And the variants emerge with enhanced immune evasion, greater transmissibility, compared to Omicron, so more severe than Omicron, more transmissible, um, sometimes more than once a year. 
and that the severity is similar to Delta in bad years. And the good news in this pessimistic one is that updated vaccines continue to provide good protection against the more severe outbreaks. All right, give me the bad one. Well, the bad one is you've got a lot of virus going around. You haven't got good global vaccination rates. You've got circulation into animals. So humans infect animals, then animals reinfect humans. And we've talked about that on CoronaCast, and that's where you get what's called recombination, and you get quite a vicious virus coming out at the other end, which could have pandemic features. So not all the variants come out like that, but some can, and it's very unpredictable about how the disease affects people. But in this scenario, you get increased severity despite vaccination and and increased long-term impacts following infection. And I assume they're talking about long COVID here. A lot of updates of vaccines, but here, because we're using antiviral drugs a lot, you get antiviral drug resistance. The community is really fed up in this scenario. Uh, There's a lot of societal conflict over COVID-19 and therefore very few controls what are called from NPIs, non-pharmaceutical interventions. So that's the, the worst case scenario. Now, some of observers are saying they think, based on what's happened before, the central pessimistic scenario, um, which is not as bad as that worst case, is the one that's most likely because some of the assumptions they're making for the best case scenario haven't really played out or are unlikely to play out. There's some really interesting features to these scenarios and some of them are intrinsic to the virus and we can't really help that. But I'm interested in that the fact that some of these scenarios are really reliant on how we act as a community and that is up to us. Like that's actually something that does sit within our power that we can choose to continue to go along with public health measures and trust in them. And then the thing about animal reservoirs as well, like there are actions that we can take to reduce the likelihood of that, even if there's nothing we can do about the virus itself. Yeah. And refer back to Monday's Coronacast, where we talked about some of these actions that could be taken to prevent that spillover from from animals. Yes, it it is a lot dependent on how we behave and how willing we are to adhere to um, public health and social measures. The other thing here is that they assume that it's going to take years before we reach a stable state, that this whole end of the pandemic isn't that it's just going to sort of end on a certain day, that this uncertain next period could last between two and 10 years. Yes, that's right. And you could get elements of some of these scenarios re-entering. So we could be traveling along, for example, at the reasonable best case until a virus comes along that's very much more transmissible, that's very much more immune evasive, and is a bit more severe. And it could have come from an animal. And then all of a sudden you flick from the reasonable best case to the pessimistic scenario. But again, you're absolutely right that one of the variables there is how we behave in terms of adding to the coverage we get from vaccines and antiviral drugs, which could lose their effect. So what I'm hearing here is as a community, we need to sort of stay strong. We need to continue to be vigilant as societies for things like animal reservoirs. And we need to keep investing in science because vaccines and antivirals are going to need to be continually updated. Yeah. And the sort of things that um, our guest on Monday and Eddie Holmes has been talking about for some time is global surveillance so that we're not caught unawares and we're cooperating internationally to to discover what variants are around, and particularly from the animal reservoir. I did say in the beginning that this was a UK picture, but it really is a global picture, isn't it? It is. 
And so one of the key variables here is global vaccination rates. We've talked about that a lot to reduce the amount of virus circulating. And if there's a reduced amount of virus circulating, then you've got less virus to evolve into nasty versions of what's come before. Secondly, they also say that because you're getting a lot of variation around the world in terms of the variants that people are exposed to, we're almost certainly going to go into a, um, a global scenario where multiple variants are working in parallel around the world. So if you go to one country, they've got a set of variants and another country may have a very different set. So we've got to get used to the fact that we're not in an Omicron or Delta world anymore. We're on Omicron plus Delta or new variant plus even newer variant. Great. So what's the takeaway for Australia here? Coronacast lasts forever. (laughs) Oh, great. Under the pessimistic scenario, we come back daily. <laughs> Those are the important scenarios. No, seriously. I'm taking notes. But seriously, it's, it's that we've really got to be sensitive to the fact that we can't rely on vaccines and drugs moving forward, just them. We've got to be prepared to move in and out of mask wearing, in and out of social distancing, in and out of just taking care. We're, not, we're unlikely to go back to lockdowns, but we've just got to be prepared to protect ourselves and protect others moving forward because we'll come to gaps in vaccine and drug coverage, which we've got to transition across by public health measures. That is all we've got time for on today's Coronacast. If you've got questions or comments, you can always send them to abc.net.au slash coronacast. And because we're not in a pessimistic scenario at the moment, we'll see you on Friday. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>